Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Now on Distinct Nostalgia, a wide-ranging conversation with a star of one of the most popular sitcoms of the 1990s. This time, Andy Hoyle has been talking to Judy Cornwall, who played Hyacinth's sister Daisy in Keeping Up Appearances. And as we're about to learn, Judy has had quite an illustrious career. Enjoy. My big um, career in television took off from Manchester because of that wonderful Sidney Bernstein Oh, right, Granada. When Granada started up, it was absolutely wonderful because they had sent people out looking for young talent. And they offered us, um, I was picked, and they offered us a contract for a whole rep season with Granada Television. We would all play a lead and then supporting actors as well, supporting performances. And um, there were all sorts of wonderful young people in it. Johnny Thor, it was his first big contract. Right. And it was all sorts of people. There were people like Michael Caine popped in for a while. Wow. And what happened was the Daily Mirror, Hugh Cudlip, um, had this particular big thing at the end uh, of when we'd been doing it and picked out two people, Ronnie Lacey, who was also in it, and me as two young stars who would be in the future. And he invited us to part of a lunch in London. And we were so excited that we were going to it. And we went down to the lunch, and I was sitting next to Marty Feldman, and Hugh Cudlip got up and said, the Queen, everyone. And Marty Feldman said at the top of his voice, whoever she may be. And I nearly died of laughter and went under the table. I nearly fell off the table. I was so falling about. Anyway, it took off. All our plays were praised. My, uh, the play that I did with the leading part was called Rabbits. And um, that's the one that got me into that uh, Daily Mirror lunch. But then there was a strike, a huge strike, <laughs> just when we were all taking off and doing things. Oh. And so I went into radio, into the Navy Lark, as Ren Cornwell. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the Navy, there were some big stars in that, weren't there? John Pertwee was one oh, of the big John stars. Pertwee, yes, I'd worked with him in something else before. See, I did my first television when I was 17, playing a 14-year-old for the BBC, and it was live television then. Absolutely right. live. If you had to change your costume, you had to run across the studio floor doing it before you went into the next scene. And I was a runaway, and Dixon Doc Green saved me and took me home. And the reason I'd run away from home was because I was so ashamed at jumping on my father's bowler hat. <gasps> Time, right. Times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, but Manchester was the one that sort of boosted me, and off I went and had a television career. And theatre and, and films and things. and um, But it, it was marvellous. I did a lot of work for Granada. Fado's farces up there we did. And, oh, that's a funny thing. Because when we were doing Fado farces, um, there were Adrian Corrie and Zena Walker with the other two women in it, the series, and myself. But I was the youngest one. So in each Fado that we did... Um, my at, at, when we got to uh, one play that we were going to do, there wasn't a third 
woman's part, the younger part. So the Granada decided they'd use me up in something else. And so what they did was put me on scene at 6.30. They wanted me to be a reporter, get on scene at 6.30 and do an interview. And Michael Parkinson was on it. So he had to steer me through doing an interview because I wasn't a journalist, you know. Oh, all sorts of things we did up in the north. It was... We did a wonderful um, thing. See, I started off as a dancer and singer, which is how I worked with Amanda Barry. Right, right, yeah. Because we did this um, scene at six of the big um, shows up there. Oh, it was amazing. Beautiful shows we did. Uh, Big, big musicals. In fact, a a live television musical, which is pretty scary. Yeah. When you've got to jump out of haylifts and things like that. (laughs) Wow. And drive all the way up from London in a in a motor bus with all the other dancers, and and you get to um, it was Birmingham, I think, and uh, then we had to do our big musical, and then go home back to London on the bus and back to where you live. But enjoyable so, times at Granada, though it was it was highly regarded, wasn't it? Oh, Granada was the big leader of all sorts of things, and um, I remember we were so thrilled to be being paid lovely money we just had never earned that much before the younger generation (laughs) it was wonderful and we all got together and some of us shared um shared flats and things and um bill forbes he was in it and it was marvelous because he took off as a writer and um he was a lovely guy young scott but there was it was just a lovely company brilliant was um, af- after that then was was Moody and Peg one of the the um, was oh, that Moody the first series? Oh, that was my first, um, if you like, first uh, series. Yes, the oh, I suppose you'd call it a comedy series. The Moody and Peg. Do you know how many people used to watch us doing that? Go 18 on. million people used to watch it every week. It's unbelievable. The size of the audiences is amazing, isn't it? 18 million people yeah. used to watch it and it was um it was terribly popular um they did, we did two big series of that i used to do a lot of work for abc which became thames and uh leonard white he cast me in one armchair theater where i starred it was a two-hander uh and it was called call me daddy and it was a two-hander with Donald Pleasance. And we had, oh, I think three hours to do this play in the studio. And um, towards the end of the shooting, we suddenly found we were three minutes under. So Donald and I improvised a whole scene ourselves and kept it in. Wow. And I was filming in Malta, and he was in the north of America, when we found out, uh, because a whole pile of journalists turned up in Malta to tell me and take pictures, that um, for the first time, ITV, um, with ABC, had won the Emmy Award away from the Americans. Ah. And so we couldn't go to collect it and anything. And uh, so Leonard White, who was the producer, he was going to go over and and collect the Emmy Award. They were so thrilled to death about it. And um, what what happened, um, he got a new suit, and he worked on his speech he was going to make, 
at the Emmy Award do. And he flew to Washington and he was met there uh, by the Emmy people who said, no, it's been cancelled. And it was because there were rioters, riots in the street. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Right. And so he stayed there in Washington. And then the next day they sent him up to New York into the Emmy sort of um, offices, a little office, where he was just given it no speech, no dressing up. No, no big ceremony. No big ceremony. Oh. And then he came back to um, England. So I felt sorry for him because he'd worked so hard on his speech yeah. and everything. But he got his Emmy and he was proud of it. And it was lovely. So that was a really good thing. But so then we did, I did masses of um, armchair theatres for them. And... Uh, I tell you one of the other lovely things, which was up in, I think it was Cagnes, because um, I did uh, the J.B. Priestley Good Companions, and I played Miss Trant. And I think there's down somewhere, um, there's a, in it, I had to do a dance down the pier, Scarborough. All right. And I did a song and a dance down a pier. <laughs> and... Um, we had to stop for a bit because there was a body floating in the sea. Oh, no. Yeah. We all had to stop and watch this body get fished out. And then I had to go and do this dancing down the pier by the sea, <laughs> singing all that and doing my dancing with all this, the um, male dancers. And so that was fun. And what was wonderful about um, Good Companions is that I met J.B. Priestley, because uh, it was his story, of course. Right, yeah. And I'd taken up a book I loved, which was literature in the Western world, wanting to get his autograph. But also, I was sitting next to him at this lunch, and he was um, inclined to sort of get sleepy, especially over pudding. And um, and then I told him that I'd just finished my first novel. And he woke up. Then he wanted to talk like mad. Right. He wanted to know what the novel was about and everything. And it was lovely. But then again, he did fall asleep because he was very old. <laughs> and his wife said to me, um, I said, oh, I think his cigarette's going to drop into his pudding. And um, she said, oh, that's how I always know um, he's fallen asleep in the bath because um, I can always hear the hissing of the cigarette hits the water. <laughs> oh, no. So I loved all that. I That was the big height of that thing for me because I just loved doing that show and um, I think it's still floating about on the internet or something It's uh, but I, to meet J.B. Priestley was wonderful, especially if you've done lots of um, plays of his in rep and things Tell us then about how um, how Keeping Up Appearances came about How, how did you first hear about oh. it? <laughs> well, I did um, a Christmas thing with Harold Snowed playing an aristocrat with a lisp and and because I'd worked with him there he offered me this part of Daisy in Keeping Up Appearances. Well I was just back from Egypt where I'd spent five weeks doing some research for my third book which was Seventh Sunrise and um, I knew that I could finish it all off beautifully if I didn't have too much to do. And I knew Hyacinth was the main character, really, mm. and doing all the hard work. And I thought, oh, I can do this and keep on with my book. 
So that's how I got into that one. I started, and um, it was great fun. I did enjoy it, and <laughs> it was very funny on the on the very first day in the studio. <laughs> Our first scene, Onslow and Daisy, was in bed. <laughs> well, they all knew us from the studio audience from other things. So we climbed into the bed, lay down and pretended we were asleep, and then the whole bed collapsed and our legs <laughs> went in the air. And the audience were just uncontrollable. They were falling about. <laughs> and we had to wait while all the studio boys put the bed back together again. <laughs> and then we got in and got on with our scene. Uh, I, I enjoyed doing it. I love Daisy. I, 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 and it's funny, I get so many letters. I've got, I'm using this thing where we're all locked into our homes to keep yep. away from the coronavirus. And I'm getting on with all my fan letters here, actually. And they're all Daisy lovers. Are they from all over the world? Even as far as Brazil, yeah. <laughs> wow. Brazil, and lots from America, all over Europe, especially Poland, and but it, and Germany and everything. And, uh, oh, it's from all over the world. And they all want to know this and want to know that. And um, so I'm able to write them letters and... Uh, Providing the post office stays open, I'll be able to get up there and post them to them. So, but I've got stacks here, which, you know, it's very hard because you've got to find time in your day to uh, do your letters and things. And I, it had mounted up a bit. So now I'm using this time being locked in to um, reply to them all. What do you think it is about keeping up appearances that made that take off in such a way that people are still writing to you about Daisy? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to oh, yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. We all artists, man. We go you feel me? We going to have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I got to lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I got to Don't play with it. Take that shit seriously. A lot of them have said um, they admire Hyacinth because she's, you know, and she's leading the part. But what they do is identify with Daisy mm. because a lot of them say, but Daisy's like us, Daisy and Onso. <laughs> and they think of us as people like them. Yeah, she did see And they... a lot of them like other things like films like, Santa Claus the movie and things yeah. like that they love yeah. and um, oh lots of my own shows that I've done before and uh, so I get a mixture and they've all got pictures I don't know where they get them from I think <laughs> the internet or something it's all over the place and I find photographs that I haven't even got do you know what I mean Right. and yeah. this funny thing called moon pig when I turned 80 on in February I had a, a birthday card covered with my own photographs <laughs> from somebody, and I didn't. I thought, how did they do that? 
And then people tell me what they do. <laughs> yeah, they find them from all over the place, yeah, and they make a personalised card. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And they made a, f- a full birthday card. And I was told by my nephew that uh, apparently there's a a sort of um, thing where they all belong on the internet, uh, where it's a sort of pro-Daisy, um, keeping up appearances thing. And there were 500 happy birthdays on that little internet thing. That's very the cool, isn't day it? day I turned 80. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Isn't that amazing? It is. I was thrilled. But of course now it's on it's on the streaming services, isn't it? You can you can watch it whenever you want. It's on BritBox, isn't it? Keeping up appearances. You see, I don't do any of that stuff. I have right. a very old mobile phone, which is only used if I break down in the car or if I drop dead somewhere. <laughs> but um, I, I don't keep on, on on a computer. My husband's got a computer and he doesn't work it very well, um, so things messages get left on there. But um, I've given up because it gets so confusing. There's so much so of my it. agent tells me everything yeah. that's going on. Yeah, well, well, it's good that you can keep up to date with uh, with how many people are sending you messages and things like that, though. Oh, it's lovely when my my nephew finds out and uh, my, my son keeps me up to date about things. And, and so, I mean, and you see, this year, um, we will be married in December for 60 years. So right. we've been married for 60 years. And so um, I met him when I was at the end of the pier um, in Rep. And uh, he turned up and knocked on the, on the dressing room door. He was a journalist on holiday relief um, going to review the play. And I got a wonderful review considering I was murdered in the first scene and just stayed as a body <laughs> at the back. And uh, he wanted to take me out for coffee and I went out for coffee with him, and, um, and I thought, well, I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and then I was going to go away to do a show in, in the Christmas area uh, that year, and I thought, oh, there was a predator hanging around, I thought, who looked as if she was interested in him. So I thought, I'd better get him first. And so I proposed to him, and uh, he said, no. Oh. And I said, he said, women aren't supposed to propose to men. I said, they can in a leap year. Yes. And he said, oh, is it a leap year? So I said, why don't you phone the telephone operator? She'll tell you it's a leap year. <laughs> well, he did, he phoned the telephone operator, and she said, yes. It's just, I forgot to tell him that, on purpose, that you're supposed to propose on the 29th of February. Oh, yeah, never mind that. <laughs> that was October, I proposed. <laughs> Because I didn't want to go away and do a pantomime <laughs> and have that other one moving in on him. No, so, quite right. And I got him. And I said to him, do you want me to stay at home and do all the stuff that wives do, or do you want me to keep on with my work? He said, oh, no, keep on with your work, because um, it's how we've met. And so that's what we did. And so you, you've got all of that, all of those happy memories behind you and lots of good work memories as well. Yeah, we, yeah. We've done lots of things together as well. We've done. We used to do a lot um, after uh, keeping up appearances, where we did that show where Onzo and Daisy had won a trip on the QE2. Do you remember? Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great well, episode that. And uh, after that, I thought, oh, I love this. <laughs> so John said, was very envious. He said, Oh, that's lovely to go on there. 
and I got to know them there. And they said, well, as you've written books, would you like to come and do talks on the Kiwi too? Oh, and nice. then you can travel for nothing. Right. So I said, can my husband come too? And uh, yes. And so he did a talk as well, because he's a journalist. And so um, we both used to travel free on the Kiwi too. That's the so way to travel, lovely. isn't it? We had lovely holidays on that. Yeah. And I will never forget, we were queuing up one night when there was the captain's dinner where you all go in and dress up the best frock. Yes. And up came this woman, stormed up to me, and she said, that's a nice dress you're wearing. I said, well, I have got some nice dresses. Well, she said, well, I shan't feel sorry for you anymore. <laughs> Because she was thinking of Daisy. She thought you were Daisy, yeah, yeah. She thought I was Daisy, and she was wondering how I had a nice dress on. <laughs> and we used to get, when we were doing uh, Keeping Up Appearances, sometimes people would come up, if they saw my husband and I walking along holding hands in in the street, someone would come up and say, where's your real husband? <laughs> that went down well, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> they thought they were going to tell Onslow. Didn't Daisy and Onslow get to um, dine at the captain's table on the Kiwi too? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And Harsons yeah. was furious. <laughs> she would be. She would be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I loved playing in that. And I finished my book, The Seventh Sunrise, and they all came to Hatchards to, the, to sort of launch and things. And it was lovely. So all together, I've written five books. Uh Four novels and one autobiography, which is called Adventures of a Jelly Baby. Oh, right. Why? Um, I'm the jelly baby. Okay. Um, because I'm a war baby, you see. Right. And I had to get married because I was on the way. Ah. And um, I said to my mother, was it a romantic moment when I was conceived? No, she said. You were a contraceptive jelly that didn't work. <laughs> and right. I said, oh, so I must have been that sperm that fought its way through all that blinking jelly <laughs> to get to the egg. So I was meant to be born. And um, so I thought, well, that's my autobiography, really. That's, um, that's how I got to be born. So I called it yeah. Adventures of a Jelly Baby. Keep listening as Andy's conversation with Judy Cornwell continues in just a few minutes. Distinct Nostalgia is home to some of the great women of British sitcom. We've interviews with Felicity Kendall from The Good Life and Wendy Craig from Butterflies. There's Linda Robson and Leslie Joseph from Birds of a Feather. Plus, Matilda Thorpe, who starred in The Desmonds, and Sherry Hewson and Amanda Barry recall their carry-on days. And now three more queens of sitcom are joining us over the summer. Sally Tomzit relives her Man About the House days. She was very good at burning toast, if I remember. Yeah, that's true life. <laughs> I can't cook to save my life. Anna Karen tells us how she created Olive in On the Buses. They said we want her to be very plain. So we went out for a day and sort of looked around all the bus stations and things. And I saw this woman who looked just like Olive. The hair parted and the glasses and terrible. And I went back and said, that's how I'd like her to be. In fact, the very first episode, I had a fringe for half of it, and then no fringe for the second half because they wouldn't go back and shoot again. So 
you know, it's, it's just stuck. So you were part of the creation of Olive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Plus Judy Cornwall, who was Hyacinth's sister Daisy in Keeping Up Appearances, also pops in for a chat. It was very funny. On the, on the very first day in the studio, our first scene, Onslow and Daisy, was in bed. <laughs> so we climbed into the bed lay down and pretended we were asleep and then the whole bed collapsed and our legs went in the air and the audience were just uncontrollable they were falling about the women of great british sitcom available this summer on distinct nostalgia more than a podcast download subscribe and listen to our past programs in almost any podcasting app or by visiting distinctnostalgia.com If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. It went head-to-head with Blue Peter for the affections of kids in the 70s. It was a magazine. So you open a magazine, you have lots of different things in the magazine, and we always did four or five. And a pie is a sort of surprise, and you never know what's going to be in it. Magpie was perceived as being a little bit more risque, and at its height was pulling in 7 million viewers in its 10 to 5 after-school slot on ITV. Just what was Magpie's magic? Yeah, it wasn't difficult to be more hip than Blue Peter. Blue Peter was a conservative show, so there certainly was an attempt to get some of the Blue Peter audience, but it was meant to be just a bit more interesting and a bit more lively. We've brought back three of the show's presenters for a special reunion on Distinct Nostalgia. We were more like the kids, you know, because we were younger, but there was also a feeling of us being a bit more radical, just a bit more in tune with... The people that, you know, watched us. We had 7 million people watching twice a week. That's Douglas Ray, Mick Robertson and Susan Stranks. Back soon for a special Magpie reunion. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Go to distinctnostalgia.com or search wherever you get your podcasts. in Australia as well for a time. Yes, I spent some of my childhood in Australia. Yes. Oh, I was sent first to um, to a Catholic convent because it was supposed to be the good good school for girls. Right. And I kept being put up a class which I was dreading because the one at the top with the older girls was run by one foul old nun called Sister Mary Helen, who I could hear the bashings going on. Mm. And um, I kept being put up, and I thought, oh, I don't want to go up to that top. And then they put me up to the next class, because I was obviously reasonably bright. And she started, and I just thought, this is ridiculous. She's supposed to be a nun. She's supposed to be loving and things, and she's beating people up left, right, and the center. 
So in the end, I told her, you're a cruel bitch, I said, and I'm not putting up with it. And I took my books and started to walk out. And she, I could hear this rustle of skirts following me, and she caught up with me. And she said, how dare you do that? Grabbed me by the left arm, tried to twist it up. So I made a fist like I'd seen in cowboy films, and I whacked her under the chin, the hairiest chin I've ever felt. Oh. And she went flying. All her skirts went flying in the air. So I picked up my satchel and ran like hell all the way home. Well, of course, I was um, expelled. Thank God. And I went to a Protestant school then. Right. So I gave up the Irish jig and took up much more sport. And I was very happy because there was a man teacher that I went to. And he was really brilliant. Oh, wonderful Mr. Spillane. And then when we came back to England, I went to grammar school. And uh, and I'd had enough when I uh, they were doing drama. And I went and said, offered to do one with them. And it was all about women making bread. And I thought, oh, God. So I joined the the, um, the amateur acting people in the town I was in. And I did a part there, and the newspapers congratulated me on it. I was 15. And I got bored with school, so um, it was a grammar school. And um, I decided to leave. And I started my own uh, business, um, which was my own drama, uh, dancing school. And it, I got the money from coming third in a beauty competition. I was only 15. Uh, I became third in a beauty competition and got five pounds. Got a, um, I, had a, I rented a hall, found a lady who could play the piano. And I had been working all the time as a child on my dancing, and I was trained. And I opened my ballet school. I put a, I put a, a, all these little, I paid, part of my five pounds went on posters with my telephone number on, saying it was going to open at this church hall, St. Nicholas Church Hall. Right. And the other bit went towards um, the hall and a woman who I'd found to do the music, the piano playing. And I waited to see if anybody would get in touch with me. And by the time it was due to open, I'd only had eight phone calls and I thought I was going to go broke. And um, in the end, I got a, the last bit of money I had. I invested in a taxi, put my hair in a bun, put my glasses on and thought I'll, I'll go down there and just see if anybody turns up. And there was a queue all the way along the street, right up to the main road of children who wanted to learn how to dance. Brilliant. And I started with 60 pupils. Wow. And the money I earned by uh, teaching, it was the money I could spend on my own lessons as well. Is that good? So, so it really built up from there then? Yeah. And then I wanted to go into uh, the pantomime, but because I was 15, you had to be 17 to get into the chorus, you see. Right. I went along to the auditions did the audition and he was sending all the small people to the left and all the tall people who were really good dancers to the right. He sent me to the left so I ran all the way around the back of the theatre and joined the other ones because I thought those are going to be sent home and they were. Right. So I then came back and he said bring your national insurance cards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I thought oh hell it's going to have my birth date in it. And I'm supposed to be 17. 
So anyway, I got a national insurance card, poured ink all over the part where it said how when you were born. <laughs> then I turned up at the next audition, got through, and he wanted to see my national insurance card. <laughs> and I showed it to him, and I, he said, oh, you seem to have had an accident with some ink. I said, yes, I just sort of knocked it over. And he said, oh, I'm letting you in, my girl, because of your cheek. <laughs> and I was in. So, so it worked. I, st- I, I was in there, pantomime, and... um. And what happened was I used to watch the girl playing Cinderella and there were all sorts of wonderful people in the pantomime, Jimmy Edwards, Derek Roy, wonderful people. And I did the dancing and everything, but I was watching a girl, Susan Swinford, who was playing um, Cinderella. This is 1955. And I learned it totally. And then suddenly she was ill with the flu and nobody had fixed an understudy. So I said, I can do it. And um, they put me on, and I was on for a whole week, got wonderful reviews from the local paper. And uh, there was one policeman who came with his wife to see the show, and he stayed my fan forever. He used to always uh, make me come home on the train and make sure I got on the bus or whatever, uh, safely, um, from London. Yeah. But it was, um, and that was my break, and I joined up with... Terry and Dora Kendall, Kay Kendall's father and mother, um, in their comedy act. And that led me to a review um, with people like um, Victor Spinetti and Ronnie. Uh, oh, now what was it? Ronnie Corbin. We, were, we got into a non-stop review in London where we uh, were trying to get an agent. And I was 16 by then. And... Um, and that's when I took off, and I was under contract to Howard and Wyndham and everybody, doing big musicals. And did my little, um, started on my television with the live one as uh, Dixon of Doc Green. Yeah. So I've done masses of them, actually. I, mm. uh, call Me Daddy, did I tell you that, uh, the one that won the Emmy Award? Yes, yes. yeah. I told yeah. you that one. And, and a Navy Lark, and Moody and Peg. Oh, Marty Feldman, who made me laugh when we were being presented by Hugh Cudlip. Marty Feldman, who made me laugh, so I went under the table. Um, he and I starred in a film not long after that. Um, and it was fabulous. It was 1961, uh, when I was 21. And um, it was Every Home Should Have One. I don't know if you ever saw it. Right. That's a fabulous film. It makes people laugh now. It's uh, it had every brilliant comedy actor in it, absolutely brilliant. And uh, oh, just one film after another, really, lots of them. So, uh, so having to, see, there's such variety in the things that you've done. You've you've written, you've danced, you've performed in big musical numbers and TV and film. RS, uh, C- the Royal Shakespeare Company, I've yeah, done it all that. Can can you pick a sort of favourite, or do you? Is it that you love the variety of things that you've done? I think I've loved the variety of stuff that I've loved. Mm. Um, I think oh the, the country dance. I think it was was it that which I was nominated for best actress by BAFTA. Um, I think that was uh, what was that one called? That was called. 
Wuthering Heights was lovely too. I enjoyed that film. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, Cry Freedom, I loved doing in Zimbabwe, and Brotherly Love. That was lovely too. Uh, no, the um, what was that one that I did? Country Dance, I think it was, and I played Rosie in it. That's right. Right. I yeah. Think it was, and I was nominated for um, Best Actress in that one, and then. That was for the BBC, and then the BBC, I, BBC said, are you going to go along to the BAFTA nominations? All my friends phoned me up and said, whatever you do, don't win it, for God's sake, you'll be out of work for two years, because they don't, they'll think you're going to put your money up. And oh. so um, the BBC phoned me up, all the others were up from ITV, and the BBC said, are you going to go, you'll have to pay £25 if you're going to have the supper. So I said, no, thank you, I'll watch it on television. And uh, thank God I did, because uh, John LeMessurier was introducing it, and he was obviously pissed out of his mind. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get his head round Cornwell. He got corn, corn and various things. And I thought, well, it's a good thing I'm not there, because I'd go up and bash him if he did that. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, an American won it, so that was all right, and all, all right. of us could get, keep working. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but all the others, but everybody phoned up, Maggie Tysack, all of them, they all said, for God's sake, Judy, don't win it, because we were all out for two years, <laughs> because the companies get scared you're going to put your money up. Oh, I see, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear, yeah. it's so funny, really. Did I, I tell you program. about the Fado Farces and and the Granada making me a reporter for a bit? Yes, Seen at 6.30 was... But, uh, Seen I at 6.30, that's right. I they, know it is... I was... Um, because they didn't have a part in that particular Fado, um, they just used me up. Right. That's. It's, I know that as Granada reports. It was called Scene at 6.30 before that, That's wasn't right. It? Yeah. And yeah. so I had to go in as a reporter for that particular uh, Fado. Uh, then I went straight back. I was very glad to go back. <laughs> but Michael Parkinson was very nice. <laughs> Did that not tempt you to want to do any more presenting and reporting then? Were you, were you glad to get back no. to what you loved? No, it didn't. No. Um, I've been a teacher, I've done coaching for people in other things as well. I've also been a magistrate, which I found fascinating. Wow, yeah. And I wrote a book called Fear and Favour, um, uh, which was all about murder and stuff. So I wrote four novels, one autobiography, and but and uh, I just um, loved being a magistrate. I was on juveniles and things, and I didn't the sort of crown courts and things with judges and uh, I enjoyed being a magistrate I still go along to the magistrates association lunches but I made lots of friends don't you get to see some tough stories though of being a magistrate yes very but also some very funny ones right oh some funny ones oh I got stung by a wasp once Um, a bloody wasp went up my skirt when I was sitting there and stung me um, on the top of my leg. And uh, what was it uh, when we retired to do it? And I said to the chairman, please, can you turn the other way so I can get the sting out of my leg? And um, and they didn't have a, a, a medicine thing. Well, anyway, word went round. The magistrate had been stung at the top of a leg. And as we all traipsed back in, there was a deep policeman's voice who said, Clever old wasp. <laughs> Get the fans out. You know? 
And I thought, you buggers, you're all having a laugh at the back of the bloody court. Uh, Anyway. That's me. So, no, I just, I loved keeping up appearances because they were all such lovely people. Lovely and and, uh, we had such fun. It always looked like um, Daisy and Onslow were great together. Was was Geoffrey great to work with then? Oh, yes, he was. And we also did a play in Brisbane in Australia. We went over uh, to do um, an Alan Akebourne play. And uh, his wife came out, my husband came out, and we had some lovely times together out there. And uh, it was packed, the theatre, absolutely packed. And a load of it was sharabangs of old convent girls who had come down to see the one that knocked out Sister Mary Helen. And they all came down in sharabangs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because they wanted to see the one that got away. Oh, so, so you were you were infamous as well by that point for that, then were you? I was in what? You were infamous as well as famous. Then, oh, infamous! For, for yes, for that. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. But it was lovely because no more bloody Irish jigs. Lots of <laughs> lovely sport, and uh, that was much better. Was um, was Onslow's dog as nasty in real life, or did it only ever bark at Hyacinth? Oh, no, he was a dear dog. <laughs> and he used to love the inside scenes when we were eating chips, because he loved chips. Ah, brilliant. Oh, he loved the chips. Oh, we used to have some fun and laughed. And I loved Rose so much. She was, uh, oh, God, her voice was beautiful. She was a great gospel singer, actually. Mary Miller. Yeah. She was lovely. And we had a lot of laughs. We really did. When the opportunity arrived for, for Keeping Up Appearances and you saw that it was a Roy Clark script, did that sort of make your ears prick up? Because he was, he was really well-renowned as a comedy writer. Oh, I was thrilled about it because I knew that the part, the big part, so I didn't have to carry the show, I would be able to get in there uh, learn it quickly and get on with my third book. Right. And I could go back then and finish writing the book where I'd spent five weeks traipsing around Egypt um, doing all my research. And I'd got all my notes and everything, and I could go back um, and keep on writing uh, because I wouldn't have too much to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so you wouldn't have swapped with Patricia Outledge then? Oh, no, no, not at all. No. Do you think, even though you were happy with the roles, do you think Daisy ever wanted to swap with Hyacinth? No, I don't think so. I think um, I think Daisy was perfectly happy. Oh, she loved Onzo, I think. Yeah. She really loved Onzo, and she was in control in her own house, and I don't think she could have kept as tidy as Hyacinth. <laughs> I mean, she would have hated all that polishing and making people take their shoes off and all that sort of thing, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think they quite liked a lot of takeaways, I would think. Yes, yeah, yeah, I don't blame them for that. I did like the friendship as well between Onslow and Richard, because it seemed so unlikely, didn't it? But they were proper, yes. they were good mates, weren't they? Yes, I think they were good mates. And um, I'll never forget it when um, Clive was climbing up the ladder to try and get um, Daddy out of his room or the the old woman that he'd proposed to oh yeah up in the bedroom <laughs> trying to get her out of there and she ended up in the car 
<laughs> and it made a dog noise oh, yeah. to Hyacinth. <laughs> but, uh, I thought um, Patricia Routledge was brilliant, actually. She played that part brilliantly. But don't forget, Harold Snowd was a brilliant director. Mm. He's a brilliant director. What do you think, if we could still see them, what do you think Daisy would be doing? Um, looking forward to a pension, I should think, by now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, she'd be locked up with Onslow and Rose because of coronavirus. She would, but do you think they'd, they'd enjoy each other's company, wouldn't they? Because they stayed in oh, all I the time they anyway. Would. They'd be watching television. They'd be nipping down the road to get some fish and chips or something. Only, and, wa- only uh, watching the television if Onslow hit it in the right place, though. If he had hit it <laughs> in the right place, yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I must say, I, I hope that a lot of the younger people who are around get a chance to see a lot of our old plays and our old stories and our old way we worked. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I think they would enjoy it. It's very different now. They're very different types of writings and very different types of comedy. And um, and I think a, a lot of the people, I, will, I tell you the one that they all still love and still watch, even though some of them have got into their 40s and things, and that's Santa Claus the movie. Yeah, yeah. Because they love that one. It's escapism a, a bit, I suppose, isn't it? Total escapism, yeah. but it was a beautiful, beautiful Christmas film for children and yeah. things. And I thought Dudley was brilliant. Oh, he was so naughty. <laughs> and David Huddleston was lovely. And um, it's, uh, it's a true Christmas story. And it's absolutely lovely. Dudley is an elf. And um, David Huddleston is Santa Claus. And, oh, I can't tell you... We had a whole day in the studio being blasted by plastic snow where we were terrified of swallowing it. Oh. And um, we had the reindeer weren't allowed in there because it would be cruelty to animals, just us. We were being blasted. And the people who were in the um, reindeer costumes, they were being blasted. And the company was so lovely. And at the end of the day, having put up with all that blasting plastic snow um they presented santa claus and me mrs claus with uh, one of those lovely baskets from fort and mason very nice i had never been given one of those before mm. so um i brought mine home so that john and i could unpack it together because he'd never had a fort and mason um basket either oh it's lovely very nice but they were really lovely and kind and smashing so that's definitely a, a happy memory, Santa Claus the movie. Oh, definitely. Absolutely lovely. And, and I went over to um, America to the, to the big opening and there was a big party afterwards. And it was lovely. It was, um, they all loved it. And they still go on loving it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And people who saw it when they were children, um, they still love watching it. When the, with their own children now. It was 1985 we had that released. Judy Cornwall there, talking to Andy Hoyle. And don't forget, if you'd like to hear more interviews with the great women of comedy, have a scroll up and down our feed within your podcasting app 
or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.